Yeah, great to be here with everybody. I want to thank Chris for inviting me. Me and Chris, I've been friends for a very long time. We used to teach the, uh, we used to work at the Insight Meditation Society's teen retreat, and we were both in Against the Stream teacher training program for three years, and um, we've just been friends for a long time, and I really appreciate what he's doing out in Boston for y'all, and uh, happy to be talking some Dharma with everybody tonight. Um, glad to be here. I hope you're all doing okay in this very strange, awkward moment of the COVID self-retreat. I feel like I went on a retreat five weeks ago and no one told me how long it was going to be. Imagine that you go to a retreat and you're like, the part of the caveat is they don't tell you how long it's going to be. And five weeks in, you're like, really? Oatmeal for breakfast again? Y'all got to be kidding me. So I um, hope everybody's safe and doing well out there. I know things are different for everybody, but um, I'm certainly finding myself having to rethink uh, everything, parenting, teaching, uh, traveling, livelihood, uh, uh, which I actually, as a practitioner of Dharma, I enjoy these kinds of things. Um, I enjoy uncertainty. It's taken me a long time to get there, but it keeps, it keeps me from being bored. And um, so tonight I wanted to offer a talk in reflection on uh, what's known as right effort in the classic teachings of, of early Buddhism. Um, I'll, I'll say a little bit about that. We'll do a guided meditation and then I'll do a talk and then we can have some dialogue about this idea. I think this is a very important teaching. Uh, I think it's vastly misunderstood and doesn't get the attention that it deserves. Um, from what I've been told, the Buddha spoke more about right effort than any other topic. Um, and when we look at the kind of world of mindfulness, in all of its ranges, all the way from sort of Vipassana insight meditation to MBSR and the, just the, the, the wide, wide lens that people hold mindfulness as. Um, the, we talk a lot about mindfulness and concentration, mindfulness and concentration. That, that kind of seems to be a lot of conversation around that. But when we look at the meditation training path factors, we see mindfulness, concentration, and effort. We see effort really as kind of the guiding post in. And when we, when you, get teachings on mindfulness typically, or mindfulness instructions, you might find that, the, they, that there's not a lot of talk about effort, how much effort, what kind of effort, what is too much effort, what's not enough effort, for what purpose am I efforting? Um, and I, I have to be honest with you, I have struggled for years about trying to come to terms with when I'm sitting and I'm practicing, uh, mindfulness, which I do uh, almost every day and have, have for almost 30 years now, uh, as I'm bringing my attention to my breathing. Um, how much effort does it take to do that? Some days it seems easier than others. What does too much effort look like? What does not enough effort look like? What does it look like if I actually don't even know what I'm trying to accomplish, which is, I think, a lot of us get into that. I don't know about you, but have you ever been sitting and thought to yourself, why am I even doing this? been at this for a long time and I don't even I don't even know why I'm bothering with all this anymore and I think these are really important questions to reflect on and to really be honest about um, so I'm going to talk more about that there's four great efforts uh, and they're, they're, they basically they're, you could think of them in four words it's to prevent uh, to overcome to develop and to maintain um, and what we're trying to prevent is, uh, so I'll say a bunch of words. So we could say we're trying to prevent unwholesome mind states or unskillful mind states, um, 
I actually prefer I actually prefer to use the emotional intelligence language of constructive and destructive um, rather than wholesome and unwholesome because these words don't really quite do the heavy lifting, I don't think. Uh, so destructive mind states are mind states that lead to uh, suffering and harmfulness to ourselves and others. Uh, so we don't want, we want to prevent those from arising. And if they have arisen, we want to overcome them. So that's, you know, <laughs> keep you busy. So it, 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 so and then it's recognizing the range of, un, of unwholesome or really destructive mind states, greed, hatred, delusion, sort of top the list. Um, so we want to prevent those from coming into our experience. And when, and if they have, if they've gotten in and there's, I have hatred in my mind. I have jealousy in my mind. I have contempt in my mind. I have worrying in my mind. When it's in my mind, I want to overcome that. Um, so that's the first half. Uh, what we did tonight was the second half, which very implicitly was, so we want to um, develop and maintain constructive mind states um, or skillful mind states or wholesome mind states or whatever language you want to use for this. I suspect you know what I'm talking about. I like the word constructive, constructive mind states, mindfulness, concentration, equanimity, generosity, kindness. There's a whole range of these. Uh, we want to develop these mental states. And then once we develop them and we recognize them, oh my God, I have generosity in my mind. I have kindness in my mind. I have contentment in my mind. I want to, or can I maintain this? And so tonight I use mindfulness because mindfulness is considered, um, you know, Mindfulness gets a lot of airtime in the Dharma world, but it's understood as a, a sort of quiz essential, um, wholesome mental state. Uh, it's also the top of the list in the awakening factors in Satipatthana, uh, mindfulness to equanimity. So it's uh, when mindfulness is present in the mind, um, then we can, we, we, we just do really well. Um, but if I have confusion in my mind, or if I have greed in my mind, or hatred in my mind, then I, I just don't do so good. I don't do, nobody does really good with these when we're guided by these mental states. Um, so those are, those are the, really the four great efforts. And the reason I like them because is it gives me a very clear, explicit kind of the doing aspect of meditation. So this word meditation, right? I don't like the word meditation. I'm not gonna talk about why, but that's another talk. Uh, the Pali term for meditation that we use for meditation is this word bhavana, sometimes pronounced um, bhavana, 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 to cultivate. It's actually, the Buddha's trying to get us to cultivate things. Um, whether we're meditating on them is sort of irrelevant. It's this word to cultivate these. So in my moment to moment experience, you know, I'm always, there's always a mind state. Uh, there's a whole range of them. And the more familiar we can become with our mental states, the more we're able to kind of work with them, which is why we need some concentration. We need to have some concentration to be able to recognize, to acknowledge, to name uh, the kind of state or the attitude. We might use the word attitude of mind, the present attitude of mind. Uh, and this actually requires quite a bit of honesty, I think, um, to learn actually how to be honest with ourselves. And for me, it's really been this long journey of being having to be honest with myself about I get, I get in some not great states of mind a lot of the time. Uh, I, I am, there are destructive states of mind in my mind every day, and maybe a good part of the day. 
uh, things subtle, maybe subtle things like contempt towards the world or towards the current political landscape that we find ourselves in, uh, a type of maybe blaming attitude or a self-righteous indignation. Um, I see these. I see these a lot in my mind. It's like the more honest I am, the more I practice, the more I actually see this stuff. It kind of feels like a downgrade. I'm like, I, you know, when I was in denial, I was much happier. So I think it's just important that we that we understand that all dharma is dharma. You know, having greed in the mind is dharma, just as much as having compassion in your heart is, is dharma. It's all dharma. So it's all a matter of recognition. Can I recognize what's going on? Now I have to be able to do that to be able to play this right effort game. Otherwise I get in manipulation and convolution. I, you know, it's kind of like cheating at solitaire. You know, is the analogy I use. Like, you know, you can win, but like, really? Like you're gonna really cheat at solitaire? Like, come on. And that's kind of what we can get into when we're not being honest about what's arising in the mind. Um, the thing that the Buddha is very clear about is that we have to be very careful that we do not begin to judge ourselves or evaluate ourselves based on the qualities of mind that are arising. And this is really, really hard for us to do. It takes a long time, I think, to come to terms with this. Um, and so, of course, I think it's important to hear, I said this earlier, I'm glad I said it earlier because it's reminding me now, is that there, there's a, without a doubt, there's no way around it that there's, a, there's an ethical framework here that really can't be pushed aside. Um, because, a so a destructive mental state is a state of mind that ultimately leads to harm of myself or other. There's a wide range of degrees, sometimes not so much, but we wanna recognize that these destructive forces in the mind, they're not conducive to my happiness or well-being, and they're not conducive to yours. So we, we kinda of have to get behind that idea, I think, if we're gonna do this work, uh, that, that it's not even about me or you, it's about, these types of states of mind, they don't go in, they don't go where I want to go. Uh, and they can become very habitual. Um, so, of course, I want to prevent them from arising. And when they have arisen, I want to be able to move out of them as quickly as possible. Now, interestingly enough, one of the best ways to avoid or to prevent unwholesome mind states from arising is to live an ethical life. I don't know about you, but have you ever done something or said something kind of shitty to somebody and then later on you felt bad about it? I can't believe I did that. I can't about that. Well, the one way to prevent that feeling bad about it is to not say it in the first place. So a lot of the prevention of these unwholesome mindsets from arising is actually just living with integrity, being honest, being forthright, being, you know, just living with integrity cleans up a lot of this business right away. I mean, even the Buddha says, you know, I think the humor, humorously that it's really hard to meditate after a long day of like robbing and stealing and killing. You know, it's hard to come home after you've done a bunch of horrible shit and sit quietly with yourself. Right? But I know it doesn't happen to me so much anymore because I, I've really taken this to heart. And I, I, I rarely actually nowadays do things that I regret or feel bad about later. But in my early practice, also somebody with trauma who's been in recovery and addiction, when I first started sitting in practice after getting clean and sober, the, you know what was arising in my mind? All the horrible shit that I did and how bad I felt about doing it. You know, it took me a long time to work through that stuff. And ironically, it seems like the mind is kind of hardwired that way. 
you know, when, even when I sit down to meditate now, my mind, one of the first things it does is it, got, it goes to look for evidence and say, have you done anything recently that we need to talk about? You know, it's like almost like, I'm, it's almost like the first five minutes of every meditation is like a courtroom. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm innocent right now. But a lot of times it's like, oh man, you know, I kind of, I was short with my son yesterday, right? It just it comes right up. It's very interesting. I've noticed this. You might have as well. So a lot of this preventing of unwholesome mind states to arise is actually in our behavior, in the way that we relate to the world. Um, so that's, that, that, so again, I think there's no, there's no way around that this, this, this practice does have an ethical component. Of course, that's one of the trainings of the Eightfold Path. But sometimes in our modern era, we try to, people try to skate the seal of thing aside a little bit because it, because it sometimes feels religious or moral. But I just don't think you're, we're going to get away from it. And I don't really want to get away from it, frankly, so that's okay. Uh, and then, so when we, so then this is really great. Then we want to be able to overcome these destructive forces in the mind when they have arisen. So that means we have to learn how to sit quiet. We need to learn how to watch. We need to familiarize ourselves with these. And this is also very subjective because we all kind of have our own interesting, unique ways in which these destructive forces of mind kind of arise. Um, and this is where like a Vipassana noting practice can be really good or just actually having a standard list of unwholesome mental states, which I have in some of my classes. Um, so that way we can familiarize ourselves with them. Um, actually the Dalai Lama in his definition of meditation, he actually says right at the beginning that meditation is about familiarizing the mind with objects. So can you get familiar with grief? Can you get familiar with sadness? Can you get familiar with self-blaming? Can you get familiar? You actually really want to become familiar with these things because the more familiar you are with them, the more likely you are to recognize them when they arise. And this is where this play on self-honesty I like to emphasize is that if we're going to do this Dharma work, we're probably going to have to find a way to acknowledge these and to realize that we do have some aspects of our psychology of our cognitive experience that aren't pretty to look at maybe we feel bad about we wish they weren't happening but here you know this is where what we usually do to manage destructive mental states what tool we usually use is called aversion and from what i understand aversion is not a liberation tool so you know these destructive mental states arise and I'm kind of pushing them away. I'm sort of not wanting. I'm trying to use a hindrance to liberate the mind. And you know, you'll probably know that you do this. You'll probably always do this to some degree. But then, then, then the recognition is just like that obstacle, as we might think of it, becomes an object. And now we just go, oh my God, I have a version in my mind. And then the bait and switch here, the bait and switch is always trading out a hindrance for an awakening factor. So for those of you who are kind of following Satipatthana or reading some of these teachings on mindfulness, the reason why I like to write effort teaching so much is ultimately for me, the game of Satipatthana, the, the goal of awakening is learning how to recognize hindrances, overcome hindrances and developing awakening factors. Uh, this is in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. It's in all versions of the Satipatthana. 
And it's a great way to kind of see the meditative endeavor as a sort of game, you know, where we're trying to recognize the arising of these, um, these uh, hindrances. And a lot of times the hindrances are actually designed to try to uh, unskillfully uh, get rid of or manage or control these destructive forces in the mind. So, you know, we, we recognize the, the greed in the mind, the wanting, the craving in the mind. Do I have craving in my mind? You know, how many times have you sat in meditation wanting a kind of experience to arise that you've read or heard about? Samadhi, where's the samadhi? I want more samadhi. I don't have any samadhi. So you're using greed to try to develop an awakening factor. So none of the hindrances work to do this. Just to give you a little, little tip. You can't use greed, aversion, restlessness, lethargy, a doubt. They, none of them work for anything, really. All they know how to do is what they know how to do. But a lot of times in meditation, dealing with craving and aversion, which is kind of a management system to try to, to, try to get rid of or control a destructive mental state that we haven't caught. So we haven't caught it in the third foundation of mindfulness. And what happens in the fourth is we're trying to get rid of it. We're wanting something else to happen. We feel restless. We feel uneasy about it. And then ultimately we feel doubtful. We're like, I just don't think I'm going to be able to do this. In fact, meditation is just another thing that I turn that I'm not very good at. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I wonder what's in the fridge. You might have been in these moments before. So when we look at these, you know, this is why I, I like really think the first half of the efforts uh, to prevent and to overcome is really aimed at the hindrances. We want to prevent craving aversion, lethargy, restlessness, and doubt from arising in the mind. Uh, if they have arisen in the mind, we want to figure out how to overcome them, which there's many different ways to do that. Whatever strategy works for you is what works for you, and that's good. But I think the, the hard part is really trying to recognize uh, and to be honest about the presence of these kind of destructive states and the ways that we're trying to manage them psychologically. Now, of course, if we go to the other side, develop and maintain, we go to the awakening factor list, which is topped by mindfulness. No surprise. So the bait and switch, if I can even use that term anymore, um, is taking a hindrance or let's just say an obstacle. There's an obstacle, there's something going on in my practice that's really feeling like it's not working. I'm taking it from an obstacle to now it's an object. Now mindfulness is in, it, now mindfulness is in the mind. Mindfulness is a wholesome mental state. Mindfulness is an awaking factor. Mindfulness is a constructive mental state that can recognize craving, aversion, lethargy, restlessness, and doubt. And now maybe I can overcome it. The hard part, of course, is to not try to employ aversion to overcome it. So you can't go back and borrow from the, from the, from the hindrance side, you know? And, so, and then so we, we look at mindfulness and then investigation as the second awakening factor. What is aversion like? What is it like to have aversion in the mind? My body's tight. I feel uneasy. Um, there's a lot of not wanting. There's a lot of, I, I really am actually believing that the aversion I really buy into aversion. I'm convinced if the pain in my knee would go away, I'm convinced if I could just get a better job, I'm convinced. I don't know about you, but I get, I get convinced of all kinds of things in my life. If they actually went away, then I'd be happy. 
you know, jokingly I'll say this because I'm sure no one's going to probably cringe at this statement, but I feel like I'm waiting for the COVID-19 and Donald Trump to go away and then my life will be normal again. Like that's what I'm waiting for. I just have all this aversion towards that, you know, and you know, it's not helpful. It doesn't improve the quality of my experience to buy into that. Even if it's true, it does not make for a better experience for me. It gives rise to destructive emotions like contempt or anger, fear. Then I start doing this word that I learned about the other day that I love called doom scrolling. We are just scrolling through news feeds of how screwed we are. Doom scrolling, just giving into the destructive mental states. Like you're eating a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. It's like one destructive mental state after another. You've done this, haven't you? Like today, probably. Right? So can we actually just take that on as a practice and not go, oh, I'm bad or wrong for eating Doritos or doom scrolling, but, but to just be like, oh, wow, like that doesn't feel good. You know, I do, I think of these destructive mental states as a lot of times as like basically eating junk food. You know, and junk food, pretty good, tastes good. It's like, we actually, a lot of times, this is what's so tricky, is actually a lot of times we find these destructive mental states and playing with the hindrances, we find them to be actually enjoyable. This is why I don't like the Vedana teaching so much, the pleasant, unpleasant stuff. Because a lot of times I get pleasant, I get enjoyment out of doing things that are totally destructive. Right? So that, 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 that's, a tip, that's a kind of difficult territory to negotiate as a Dharma practitioner of like, okay, like this feels good, but I know it's not great. You know, and then having to kind of investigate that. Why does that feel good? What am I getting out of this? Is this just a habit? Is this just, a lot of times it's kind of a medication. It's just, is this just me wanting to avoid an underlying feeling that I don't want to feel? Is this just me wanting to not be sad right now? Or scared about the state of the world right now? A lot of times these cognitive, because that's what these are, these are mostly cognitive, they're mental states, they're mental activities, they're hindrances, they're all these things, these terms you all probably know. Uh, They a lot of times are running because they're actually trying to keep us from feeling a kind of emotion that we don't really want to feel which is why they're kind of enjoyable. Like, you know what, I would rather hate on the government right now than be sad or scared about whatever, right? And, and, and the hard part is a lot of times when we work with that, when, when the mindfulness does emerge, uh, the openness emerges, the awareness emerges, a lot of times those unpleasant experiences that we've been avoiding, they actually have room to arise now. And it's all of a sudden it's like, uh, we feel sad. Or we, we feel scared. Um, and so that's really, really hard to negotiate that kind of moment. Like, do I just want to go back to the junk food? and Because uh, that was much more, that was a lot more enjoyable, actually, than feeling this, this doom or this sadness or this, this radical sense of insecurity. Of like, I have no idea what's going on. And I'm pretty convinced that nobody on the planet has a clue about what to do or what's going to happen. I don't want to do that. I don't want to investigate that. 
so you know again a lot of this you know I, I, I'm reluctant to use this term but it's such a good one this a lot of this practice is very against the stream in that way you know it's like we're, we're actually being called and asked to do something that that doesn't feel right or good or agreeable you know because it's like hindrances are bad awakening factors are good right easy to see that but actually experientially hindrances are pleasant awakening factors are like scary so you know we can read about the awakening factors and in, in, in a buddhist literature or hear a talk on it but i think it's, I, I find a lot of this a lot of what i'm a lot of what i signed up for when i took this journey of dharma uh you know it's uh it's a lot of not getting what's this is not a comfortable practice you know but it, to me it's um what we're being asked here to do i think is actually to play the long game you know we're, we're playing the long game the short game is immediate gratification the short game is just our culture on 101 right immediate gratification feel good now pay off the credit cards later it's that whole you know that whole thing that we do uh, and actually we're being asked to really to actually do the opposite of that. And then to investigate inwardly the causes uh, and the mechanics for how those kinds of things are driving our views and our intentions and our behaviors and our relationship to the world. And without a doubt, part of that process means we have to be honest and we have to investigate and we have to explore uh, all the ways in which we're not maybe doing so good. Maybe we're maybe our little ethics are a little slippery. Maybe our uh, our sense of view is a little bit destructive and maybe unkind and maybe even cruel at times. Uh, the way that we view the world, and I could be wrong. This is just my feeling and opinion, but I do believe that the Dharma worldview is actually a view of optimism. I think what's, what's actually being offered here is what they call, what the Buddha calls Samvega, which is a kind of spiritual urgency or a spiritual courage of like, this is wicked, wicked hard and totally scary and you can do it and it will be worth it. You know, and that's a big ask on some days, right? You're like, well, see, what were those again? You know, and, 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 and it's, 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 it's a little bit for me actually, I used to not say this, but I'm feeling it more so these days. Uh, I think there's actually an element of blind faith here that we actually have to employ. A, a type of trust, maybe we would say that, like, I'm going to trust that if I do this, it's going to work. And I think that's actually the promise. That's the, that's the promise of Dharma. That's the promise of, 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 the, of the, the Buddhist message is that, is that this does work. And this is the only way, no, there's other ways. People do all kinds of different things. Dharma is not the only way to be happy. It's not the only thing. Uh, but for, some, for those of us who have kind of fallen into this world, um, we can take, uh, I'm also reluctant to use this word, we can take refuge. Uh, or we, can, we can try to trust into our own internal, whatever the intuition was, whatever your experience was, whatever it was that got you in this game uh, with good, you know, and, 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 and to trust into that, to feel into that as much as you can, especially right now, you know, especially really, really right now. 
you know, it, 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 I, I like these kinds of things for me personally because I, I like the uncertainty. First of all, it's, it's always been uncertain anyway, right? Like, it's always been like this. It's just now it's right in your face. Like, birth, old age, and sickness and death is not new. It's always been there. It's always been like this. But it's just really in our face right now. Right? And so part of it is, like, I think the ask is to, like, trust that, that, I have the resources, I have the capability, I have the potential to even deal with this and to not go to the dark side. You know, it's really, really easy. And I've talked to a lot of my students right now, a lot of people and the doom scrolling, it's really, really easy to go to the dark side right now. You know, it's really easy to get angry. It's really easy to get contemptuous. It's really easy to, to do the those people in. These fucking crazy Republicans. It's these fucking. It's so easy to, to blame, and to take that higher ground of contempt of having that kind of. We have this sort of moral superiority. That's not going to help anybody. It really isn't. Even if we're right, which is really hard, right? It's really hard to kind of go. Wait a minute here. This is where equanimity really, really, you know, which is the seventh awakening factor. So mindfulness to equanimity is a, is a pretty you know, it's going to take a minute probably to get there. Um, so this has been really helpful to me lately of really kind of like taking this on like every day of like, okay, like, like what's going to happen today? Am I going to like, am I going to indulge in these difficult, in these difficult, in these destructive mind states? Or am I going to like not do that? Am I going to try to be more constructive in my, and, and you know, it's hard work. But I find that um, it's really, really paying off right now because the wholesome, if you will, or the constructive, it's just, it's just a much better place to be. It's a much better mind state to kind of hang out in. So I wanted to offer this for your reflection.